Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. My name is Brandon Fong, and I'm beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest, Ethan Bull. Knowing what your time is worth allows you to then say, well, I'd like to get 20 hours a month off of my plate. And if that costs me $12,000 for the year to get 20 hours of work off of my plate, that, that could be a steal. Of course, that was Ethan himself, and he drops so much wisdom in this episode that I'm excited for you to listen to. But before we dive into that, let me tell you a little bit about him. Ethan Bull is the co-founder of Pro Assisting, a next-generation remote fractional executive assistance firm for business owners and C-suite executives. With a background in hospitality and as an expert in the EA space, Ethan has held a variety of senior positions, including Director of Administrative Services and Senior EA to the President and CEO at Rochester Regional Health. There is so much gold in this episode, but as always, I would love for you to look out for three specific things. Number one, why Ethan had to meet with robbers and have $5,000 in cash in his pocket to recover a stolen film and what that has to do with hospitality. (laughs) Number two, why you might need an executive assistant and how one could massively expand your effectiveness. And number three, how a top tier, top grade, high level EA can essentially read your mind and serve as your project manager chief of staff, business partner, personal assistant, and scheduler all wrapped into one. Guys, I was super excited to get Ethan's perspective on the executive assistant position in this conversation because we've talked about virtual assistants before on the show. I had a great conversation that I would highly recommend with Jamie J, who is the founder of Bottleneck Distant Assistance. That was episode number 116. And what Jamie brings is amazing, but what Ethan brings is also amazing and very different. The executive assistants that Ethan is talking about make well into the six figures. So what does it look like to have a premium and high level executive assistant that can handle all different kinds of stuff? And how do you go about building a level of trust with somebody that might have your social security number? They might have some other really valuable and critical information. So there's lots of trust that goes into this and lots of uh, leverage that can happen when you set up the effective system and dynamic of working with a good EA. So with all that said, there's so much for you to dive into and so much for you to learn. Here is my incredible conversation with my new friend, Ethan Bull. Mr. Ethan Bull, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. This is going to be so much fun. Brandon, thank you so much for having me. I I wouldn't have had it any other way, my friend. And I had so much fun going through your book, listening to a bunch of other episodes or podcasts that you are on. And you have so many fun stories laced throughout all of your content. And I was trying to figure out a good place to start. And I thought... As always, I would love to toss people right into the action and then we can kind of unpack some things. So in one of the podcast interviews I heard you on, you were talking about how you were on set, I believe, and there was a film robbery that happened and you had to fill in the gaps for like making sure that you were trying to save the day. So talk to us a little bit about that film robbery and what was going on that day. (laughs) Well, what actually happened was um, we were when you back then I'm going to date myself everything was put on actual film that ran through a camera and uh, if you were shooting we were shooting in New York where I lived and the film uh, has to then that night be taken to be processed 
and then they make what's called dailies, uh, which are rudimentary uh, videotapes that that the director and the team could watch that evening um, of the previous day's work. And so uh, the production assistant brought the film to the location where you bring it in to create dailies and have it developed, left their car outside, came back, and the film was stolen out of the car. And then the production office got a call from someone and says, hey, I think I have your film. I want $5,000 and you meet me. And I was tapped by the controller to go into his office, count out five grand, put it in my pocket and go to the location to meet this person. They never showed and we never ended up getting the film back. And it was a really expensive movie. So that one day, I mean, it, it you know, you're talking $150,000, $200,000 just for the day's work. So uh, it was disappointing that we never got it back, but I was the one who was tapped to, you know, potentially take the fall or, or get wrapped up in something trying to, trying to get that film back because we didn't want to have to reshoot the day, but uh, we ended up having to. So it was like a drug deal with no drugs, which is essentially kind of what you were, you, you were, you were, it was a hostage situation. Ha, except a it's hostage, <laughs> that's a hostage situation. That is a perfect way to put it, but it kind of goes to show the lengths that an assistant can be tapped to do something. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's just one of the many stories. Okay, we'll just hope that that doesn't go into human trafficking or drugs or anything like that in the future. We'll leave it at film robbery and we can deal with that. <laughs> Nothing illegal on the assistant <laughs> side, exactly. I love that. And I, I love that for so many reasons, because like you said, one, it shows kind of like the the breadth of uh, things that you can expect to do in the life of an assistant. So it's taken you all over the place. And so I'm super excited to dive more into your journey as both uh, being an EA and then eventually transitioning into uh, having a company that now helps people leverage EAs more effectively. But I always love to start the interviews by kind of like unpacking the journey that got you there. And so another thing that I thought was really cool and something that we have in common that we haven't talked about before. I know we've talked about this before, but I grew up in a restaurant. I was the kid in the back of the restaurant that was supposed to be quiet and not get, not get in front of the customers and uh, found out that you apparently have some uh, restaurant experience yourself. And so I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about uh, what it was like growing up with your dad and kind of how you started to cut your teeth in the hospitality world. Yeah. My, my dad is the, the epitome of the word entrepreneur. Uh, and um, his best friend from high school and 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 that best friend's brother-in-law bought a restaurant and they both had other jobs and they thought they could run the restaurant from afar. And after about six months, they said to my dad, hey, Steve, uh, we need help. Uh, do you want in on this? And my dad, uh, I was nine years old. My dad uh, did. He he became a third partner. And, um, you know, the first six months just sat back and watched it all run. And then slowly um, learned the business and made tweaks and changes and um, really fell in love with it. Um, it's, it's a, it has, there has to be some passion behind running a restaurant. Otherwise it'll run you into the ground. 
And so from nine years old on, I mean, it'd be Sunday afternoon and or evening, we get a call that the bus boy was out and we're down a server and we would leave dinner sitting at the table and go to the restaurant. And I would start bussing tables at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Wow. Um, and, and my, my stepmother would, would take orders and run food and, um, it, you know, we, you have to pitch in. And, um, and then the other aspect of that was, um, having conversations around what we now term hospitality, but, um, my dad would have the restaurant shopped every six months where a blind company would come in and they would count how many minutes did it take until someone greeted me when I walked in the door? What was their facial expression? How did they make me feel? What was the time from when we sat down to when the server actually came over and acknowledged us? How busy is the restaurant? Um, you know, the food and, and, and then he'd get a report and he would share that with the employees and talk through it. Uh, and, and in, a, in an effort to always get better, uh, and hospitality, looking back on it, was a big part of that, and 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 how you make customers feel when they came in. And the restaurant was located right at the north end of a lake in upstate New York. So the summers, we'd have lines out the door, but in the winters, it was freezing cold. Wind chill was crazy, whipping off the lake, and the way that the restaurant survived was from regular repeat customers that would come in and have dinner there five nights a week or mm -hmm. lunch there seven days a week. And those customers formed the foundation that kept the restaurant afloat in the winters. So then in the summers, you know, we could make hay. Um, and that again, goes back to how those regular customers felt in that restaurant and why they kept, kept coming back. And it was a lot of it was for social reasons. That's so cool. And it's so amazing to see your work today and how that has informed the way that you've brought that hospitalian mindset into the world of executive assistance. Because I think typically I'm never prior to coming across you and your work, I had never bridged the gap between those two worlds of hospitality and, and effective service. And so I, I'll plant a seed because I want to come back to that hospitalian concept and how you've married the two. But before we get there, I think it might be interesting to, to share like the, how you got from, being in your dad's restaurant to being an EA to eventually having your own thing. So we don't have to go through the full story, but I know that you and your wife had a, a long and incredible career as an executive assistant, and then you eventually kind of banded together. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about you and your wife's dynamic and how you guys ended up going into business together. Well, um, I guess I would start by saying like, I wasn't, choosing to be an executive assistant. You know, I, I went to a specialty business school outside of Boston and I did that because of my father being an entrepreneur. My stepfather was an attorney who owned his own practice, which is also being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to run a business. And when I got off to college and traveled to Australia, I really kind of fell in love with the idea of marrying my creative pursuits, both, well, 
initially in music with the business background and, and being able to kind of forge my own path that way. And then when I moved to New York city, right after college to work on a feature film, that's when I got really interested in writing and directing in that. And the assistant role in the entertainment industry is the first step for about 80% of, you know, um, agents and creative directors and all of that. So they really use that as the stepping stone and, um, fast forward five years and I transitioned from working in entertainment as an executive assistant to working in advertising. And that was around the time that I did meet Stephanie, uh, in a bar, my local bar. Uh, <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> she was actually visiting a friend. She was living in New Hampshire at the time. And our romance really started over the phone uh, after that one night uh, of meeting. And then three months later, she moved down to New York. And the first role she got was as an assistant at a, at a bank, a financial institution. And um, she's so phenomenal at what she does. And people are just drawn to her that one of their clients, a hedge fund CEO, um, poached her and said, hey, come work for me. And that kind of really started us on that path of being really high level executive assistants um, and, and everything that goes along with that. And it allowed us to build a really vibrant and great life in New York City even though it's so expensive to live there. Um, and, you know, it was very, we were both very fortunate that we had each other who were both doing the same kind of roles, but I was in advertising, which is more creative. She was in finance, which is not as creative and pays a lot more money. Um, but we were able to share war stories and, and, mm -hmm. and problems and uh, bounce ideas off of each other. And then we also both keyed into that hospitality aspect as well. When we were out at a hotel or a restaurant or dealing with a, an airline representative at the ticket booth um, and, and acknowledging really good experiences and acknowledging experiences that could have been done better. Mm -hmm. I love that dynamic duo. I would love to see you and Stephanie in action. I can imagine some of the horror stories that you swapped at the dinner table that informed some of the ways that you do things today, <laughs> which is super cool. So it was amazing because you led us right back to that hospitality concept. So I would love to start diving into some of the uh, incredible work that you do today with Pro Assisting. And I thought a, a great way to kind of dive into that would be to talk about Raspberry Jam, of course. Um, so I would, <laughs> I would love for you to talk about Raspberry Jam and what that had to do with uh, hospitality in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was a, a, an office production assistant on uh, the movie Town and Country, uh, which starred um, Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, Gary Shandling, um, and a bunch of others. And we had Nastasia Kinski coming in to film for two and a half weeks uh, in New York, and she needed a personal assistant. So I was in the production office. They tapped me to be her personal assistant, uh, you know, riding in the limo to the airport, picking her up, uh, you know, and then that first call time on set was 4.30 in the morning. 
And uh, I had to go to the hotel with the Teamster driver, get out of the vehicle, go in, call up to her, home, her, her room, get her downstairs. We had her breakfast ready. We get in the car. She looks at her breakfast. There's no raspberry jam. Uh, she's like, where's the raspberry jam? And uh, like, it, it was just like, I'm not eating this if there's no raspberry jam. So I told the Teamster to wait. And I jumped out of the car. I sprinted down three blocks to a bodega. Thank God they had jam and raspberry jam at that. I got the jam. I'm running back. While this is all going on, this is our her and my first full day working together. She's telling the driver to just leave. She's like, leave him. Just go. Go to set. He'll find his way. Just leave him. And the team was like, eh, he'll be back in a second. Um, I get in. She has the jam. We go to set. I'm working with her. The teamster tells the director and the producer what just happened. They're all having a good laugh about it, uh, that she wanted to actually leave me as I'm trying to find her raspberry jam. Um, but again, there's that idea that an assistant can fill many different roles. And, you know, that's just another way of trying to go above and beyond and, and do a good job and have a strong work ethic and, and do what is needed and what befits the day. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, I think like people have talked a lot about they heard, they heard the conversation is portrayed in movies of like the intern getting the cups of coffee or raspberry jam stories or whatever it is, but really at the core, like it just shows your dedication to go above and beyond. And if you take that level of responsibility in everywhere that you show up, I mean, imagine that dynamic. If you listening right now, if you had someone on your team that was able to support you in that capacity, hopefully you're not willing to leave your assistant <laughs> while they're sprinting to go help you. Uh, but I think that just the idea of having someone in your corner that you know has your back on all different components of your life just to help you and support you to be more effective and develop that dynamic is really, really powerful. And so I would love to dive into- Well, wait, wait I would just yeah, want yeah. to add one point. What's really interesting is that um, my relationship with Nastasia over the next couple of days really solidified and she wanted me on set. She wanted me close to her when we were in between takes and Warren Beatty was the op, op acting alongside her. And for four days, he just did not pay me the time of day. I'm standing two and a half feet from him. He wouldn't acknowledge my presence. He, he just, he was, I, I just was a nobody to him. But then on that fifth day, he, um, he asked me to get him a diet Coke and I did. And, you know, here you are Warren and, you know, and then every day after the questions, we get more in depth, you know, what, how long are we turning around, which is what you have to do in between takes. And can you, can you get me um, my assistant or can you go get me another diet Coke or whatnot? And then at the end of the shoot, when we wrapped, I had to bring these big bouquet of flowers back to Nastasia's hotel. She's getting in the limo with Warren to drive back. And she's like, yeah, just take a cab with with the flowers and that was totally normal that's totally fine and warren's like well, why is he taking a cab ethan just get in the get in the limo so i'm sitting next to warren Beatty with this huge bouquet of flowers in, in between my legs driving through midtown traffic for 25 minutes and and that's when he was just like so where are you from what what are you doing like where'd you go to college and um and i guess the point of the story is that if you just keep your head down and do good work people will notice and and then 
let give people the grace to open up as you're doing that and not put pressure on them. And, and who knows where that relationship will go. I love that. It reminds me of there's this psychological concept that completely changed my life. I've talked about it a lot on the show, but it's called the Ikea effect. Have you ever heard about it, Ethan? No. So it's, it's essentially like they did, this isn't, I need to get better at like quoting the exact study, but essentially they found out that people value Ikea furniture more because they had to build it as opposed to like something that they just got shipped to them. And so the takeaway from the study is that anything that we invest into, we value more, whether it's a piece of Ikea furniture or a relationship. And so what I also love about what you're saying too, is that it may start with something small, like a diet Coke, but like that is an exchange of like investing into each other, like something small. And that even though these small things were kind of making a, we've kind of joked about it and that kind of stuff, but you start a relationship out any relationship starts by small investments. You mentioned meeting your wife at a bar. Like there was so small interactions that led up to building that trust, to building that relationship. And so I think it's really important that, you know, we don't gloss over these kinds of things and these attention to detail. And it's really how all relationships are built in the first place. So I just love that. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Um, I say it all the time. Like when you're first starting to work with someone, one of our assistants, I'm like, just, and I use the baseball analogy, which, I kick myself sometimes, but just hit singles, <laughs> just hit singles, just hit singles that first week, just hit singles that first second week. And then, and then there'll be a double and then a triple will come in there. And then, you know, you'll save the day at some point and that, and it's just slowly building trust and creating a relationship. Yeah. I love that. So let's dive a little bit more into like this world of being able to leverage an effective executive assistant, what, what it looks like if you're running at full steam um, and, and maybe some of the ways that we can kind of get there in your book, which by the way, I would highly recommend anyone go check out the 29 hour work day, a high performers guide to leveraging your EA. We'll make sure we have that linked up in the show notes. Tim Ferriss ain't got nothing on, on Ethan because you can get 29 hours of work done in a day and Tim is getting four hours of work done in a week. I guess that that doesn't fully match up different things, but I still like it getting a lot of work done in a little time with an effective executive assistant. <laughs> but in, in your book, you talk about executive assistant assistant superpowers. Um, and and I, I love this kind of just like baseline of understanding what it looks like to function and have a partner as an executive assistant that can that can work at a really effective level. So I would love for you to maybe share some of the executive assistant superpowers that you've been able to un tap and tap into in your career and then also train other people to have as well. Well, when you when you create such a strong partnership with someone, it's a very well, the relationship between a principal and their executive assistant is a very personal relationship. Uh, you're not in the C-suite, but yet you're privy to all the information. You're, you really, it, it becomes a very, very strong partnership. And, and when you as an assistant have worked with someone for long enough, you know what they like, you know what they don't like, you remember the problems that happens six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, which allows you to kind of see around corners before they come up and suggest alternatives to what they want to do or remind them of what happened last time when we tried to do that. Sure. And this is my idea for how to get around that and not have that happen again because you were not happy and 
you know, nine times out of 10, you're like, oh my God, you're right. Thank you so much for reminding me. Yeah, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Um, so it just becomes, it's like any relationship. You get to know someone, you get to know their likes, their dislikes, um, how they perform their best, uh, you know, everything from the time of day that, that, you know, they have a meeting, you know, if you're, if you're scheduling a strategy meeting, that's, that's really deep work. You probably don't want to do that at three o'clock in the afternoon. If your boss is a morning person, you know? Um, and so knowing those ins and outs, um, allows the assistant to appear as if they have superpowers. And so we don't want to, we don't want to promise the sun, the moon, and the stars and, and not meet the expectations but um, that's that's the in, the relationship is so intimate that that's kind of the byproduct. Yeah, mind reading. That's like amazing. I and and it's like all these things that lead up to a decision that are unconscious for you. But if you take the time to develop that relationship with someone, so that somebody else can kind of like say, "Hey, this is the stuff that you're not even thinking about that you should be thinking about." It's like reducing that cognitive load must be like such a a breath of fresh air. And I, I realized too, I want to kind of like take us back up at the 30,000 foot view and then we can kind of dive into some more of this stuff. Cause I realized that like for you listening right now, maybe you have an executive assistant, maybe you don't have an executive assistant. Um, but I've recently started working one over the past few months and it has just been such a game changer as far as like reducing the amount of decisions and, uh, like just all the balls that I found myself dropping are just now able to be caught. And that's just such an amazing feeling. And so I, I kind of want to go back up at a high level for those of us that like, maybe haven't made the commitment to like start working with an executive assistant. There's something that you talk about in the book about like calculating how much your time is worth. I know it was kind of like towards, towards the end of the book, but I think this is just kind of like a very simple thing. It's like for, for the high performers that are listening right now, it's like, I, I mean, I can do all this. I'm really good at this. Like, well, I don't really need someone here. I can catch all the balls. I would love for you to maybe kind of talk to them about like what it's actually costing you if you're doing all this yourself and, and some ways to kind of think about when it might be time to bring on an executive assistant. Well, yeah. I mean, if you are a small business operator or a solo consultant and, you know, you look at your books at the end of the year and you made, you know. $300,000. Let's just pick a number. Um, if you work on the hourly rate, $300,000, that's probably going to be $600 an hour, uh, you know, and, or not, not 600, uh, about $150 an hour. And, and if you have an assistant who you compensate, you know, um, I don't know, $60 an hour, and they and and they put in ten hours of work a month, so for six hundred dollars, and they take actually ten hours of work off of your plate, you're saving yourself one hundred and twenty hours. And you do the math, and it, it's it's all about time arbitrage, and and where are you putting your time, and what what's been really interesting, uh, living through the pandemic, is that what we've noticed is that a lot of our clients. Um, are thinking more in terms of time than money and how they want to live their lives and where they want to spend that time. And, um, you know, some of the people, uh, principals who are really micromanagers are learning not to be so much micromanaging and understanding that there's usually more than one ways to skin a cat. And if they have a professional assistant that they're partnered with, why not let them run? Uh, and, and so, you know, knowing what your time is worth 
allows you to then say, well, I'd like to get 20 hours a month off of my plate. And if that costs me $12,000 for the year to get 20 hours of work off of my plate, that, that could be a steal. Um, you know, it's all, but it's all dependent on where you are. The beautiful thing about where we are now is that assistant support has so many different options. And going back to the Tim Ferriss book in 2007, you know, he was like, look, get an overseas assistant for $5 an hour and run your million dollar business. It's not that easy, but you have options of going overseas support. Then you've got US-based or North American-based virtual assistant companies. You have companies like Pro Assisting, which we are fractional remote executive assistant support, which is a higher level um, and more dedicated support. And, and you can actually hire a full-time employee as well. And so the options are, there's, there's a plethora of options uh, to, yeah. to give you that time back. I love that. And you, you, you mentioned micromanaging. So I wanted to like plant a seed because I want to revisit that because I think it's a really important part. But I think I want to just add on top of what you said. I think one of the things that I've noticed in working with an executive assistant, it's like not only the time you save, but it's the energy you save. And there's a big difference too, because it's like every time that you're making a decision, that's like a small decision that you don't have to be making decisions take energy from you. Right. And so it's like the more you can remove those things that don't even hit your awareness level, the conservation of energy that happens throughout the day, throughout the week of like not having to make those small decisions is crazy, crazy, crazy powerful. And so just wanted to add that as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so let's, I want to talk about micromanaging, but before we go there, I want to talk about trust. Um, and, and I think that this is a really important, like fundamental conversation when we're talking about working with an executive assistant. I was uh, really fortunate to have on Stephen M.R. Covey on the show re recently, and we were talking about, uh, I think one of my big takeaways from that conversation is like, people think about trusting the cost of trusting and kind of like the benefits, but th there's a, there's a, even bigger cost of not trusting, like all that you miss out on for not trusting in someone. And I know that for those of us that can be a little bit like control oriented that are entrepreneurs or, or people that are like, kind of like creating some stuff, it can be kind of hard to, to open this relationship with an executive assistant in a way that actually empowers it to be effective. And so as somebody that has been an executive assistant and, and helps people leverage executive assistants, I would love for you to maybe share some of maybe your insights about what that conversation is like when, when somebody may be having issues with trusting or how we can kind of begin to do that uh, more effectively. Yeah, it's, it is such a unique relationship and almost a personal relationship that trust plays kind of one of the most important roles. And I talk to prospects all the time who share that. They're like, how this person is going to have my date of birth. They're going to have my credit card number. They're going to have um, you know, information that is extremely confidential, extremely personal. Um, so from our perspective, running pro assisting, you know, we ensure our assistance for errors and omission and criminal liability. We don't do that because we're worried about our executive assistant stealing something or making huge mistakes. We do that to set the foundation of trust from the get-go with the client. We have NDAs uh, between us and our clients and, our, and, and us and our assistants and encourage 
a client to have an NDA and confidentiality agreement with their assistant, should that make them feel better? Um, the central tenant, one of them, of being a great top-level EA is that you're going to have access to personal and confidential information, and you need to keep that and protect that with everything you've got. Um, whether, you know, whether that's through technology and password protected documents and biometric security, uh, whether that's not having loose lips in terms of, um, you know, office politics or, um, chatting with someone at the water cooler, uh, you know, your principal probably doesn't want everyone in the office knowing what their schedule is. Um, that's a very simple example, but it, it carries through. And the thing is, is this is a person-to-person -person business. And so we can do everything we can, but you can't guarantee 100%. Um, so it's about, for us, it's about partnering with great executive assistants who have that experience, understand the nature of the information they come in contact with. And on the other side, being very forthright with potential clients or principals and saying, we are doing everything we can. We've run background checks on our assistants. We've reference checked them. We, you know, they have the hard experience. We know they have the personality to support you at this high level. But there becomes a point where you have to grasp hands and jump off the cliff. And our suggestion to our, our clients is to do that almost immediately. And, and, and then if you have to rein it in, you will, or if there is a mistake made, you deal with it. And, um, rather than waiting and, and seeing where you are six months down the road, it's going to just be a lot harder to create that trusting relationship. Um, if you don't, you know, grasp hands and jump off that cliff. I was just about to ask that as a follow-up because it's like, I know somebody thinking about working with an executive assistant might be like, oh, like, let me just start with some small stuff and like let the trust build and then eventually I'll open the kimono and all that kind of stuff happen. So for somebody that kind of has that mindset, what would you say to them as far as like, because if, if approach A is let's take it slow and when I know I can trust you, I trust you and approach B is let's jump off a cliff right in the beginning and you have everything and, and it seems like you've come to the conclusion and what you coach people through is like, let's do that cliff jump. But like, it's a, it's a, it's a big mental jump to do that. So like, how would you kind of have that conversation with that person that's still kind of grasping on the, the route a of like, let's take this slowly and build it up. And, and what would you say to them? Well, for in our specific situation, given the level of EAs that we partner with, I mean, these are EAs who could command six figure salaries in major metropolitan areas. So this is not their first rodeo. They've onboarded mm -hmm. a number of people and we consider our first month, the onboarding month. Um, but I like to say to a new client, you're going to feel a lift in two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. So um, in that two or three or four week period, that should be enough time to where you feel comfortable taking that leap with trust, um, at least that initial one. And, yeah. and, and obviously there are going to be some things that, that reveal themselves over time when the assistant could help with something that 
is new to their plate. And that might happen six months or a year or two years down the road. Um, but I, I think that it's, it, it takes that, that time, but yet it can happen really quickly. So when I say jump off the cliff, see how you're feeling three weeks in, you know, mm -hmm. if you're getting to the end of two months, the end of three months, and you're still holding back and, you know, that's where it's like, look, um, for this to really benefit you, uh, we need to kind of lay all of our cards out on the table and, and really dive into what your needs are. Give me the information I need to execute on your behalf. And that's where the trust comes in. And, yeah. and let's go. Um, we use a new client questionnaire to kind of cut down the learning curve as much as possible to pull as much information out of a new client as quickly as possible. So there's not much back and forth about, you know, where, where is your vacation home or who is the person who cuts your grass or who's the chairman of the board of your largest client. Um, all that information is pulled out of the client from the assistant in that first couple of meetings. And then you you slowly turn the dimmer up it's not a light switch it's dimmer i always say and and by three four weeks in you really need to feel that lift and part of that is is kind of handing some trust over yeah i love that i think what served me really well is like viewing things as an experiment with like shorter time frames, right? I like how you kind of said like, look, see how you feel in three weeks and you'll probably be thinking a lot differently about it, right? Like I made a, I was just thinking about this this morning. I, I made a decision in 2016. I was like, what would happen if I just deleted all social media from my phone? And I was like, I'll just try it for two weeks and see what happens. And it's like that two weeks has turned into six years or no, seven years at this point of me not having any social media apps on my phone and it's changed my life. So it's like, I think a good way to make big jumps is to start with a small container, but like, like allow yourself that experimentation for you to like move forward, which I love so much. So amazing. Well, Ethan, we've talked a lot about like kind of the foundational components, I think of what it means to have an EA, like why, why it's so worth your time. If you kind of do that calculation, like what that trust is like and what it could look like if you have somebody that can like read your mind and like help you create schedules that are like in alignment with your circadian rhythm <laughs> and like how you perform more effectively. I would love to also dive into like some of the other, what you call performance multipliers that kind of like make a uh, executive assistant. And this I think is just a really powerful for our friends listening, like to expand your brain as to what is possible with uh, an effective executive assistant. And so in your book, you talk about there being five performance multipliers, and they're all super, super powerful. But the first one I thought would be really cool to kind of talk about that maybe seem a little counterintuitive to some people is the first one you start out with is business partner. And I, I think typically when somebody is like, oh, executive assistant, business partner, maybe those two things aren't necessarily uh, directly related for them. But I think you have a powerful conversation around what it could look like if you kind of like have that frame on for someone. We'll love yeah. To share that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, going back to both mine and Stephanie's experience, when, you know, when I say an executive assistant at a, at a high level, I'm talking someone who's earning 150, 200, $250,000 a year, 24 seven kind of mentality. Um, and if you come across a person like that, a lot of times you'll say, oh, so what do you do? And then they'll say, oh, I'm an executive assistant. And they'll say, oh, well, what do you do? And they'll say, 
really there isn't anything I don't do yeah. or uh, I, I do everything. And what we've found is that instead of saying that, if you say, well, I'm an, I'm a top level executive assistant, I, I provide support through five different verticals, business partner, chief of staff, project manager, assistant scheduler, and personal assistant. And those are kind of my five areas. It kind of gives a breadth and, and expresses a value that, um, someone may be thinking of an executive assistant as a secretary from, you know, 20, 30 years ago versus thinking of them as, as a business partner. And when we say as a business partner, when you, when you create that level of trust, you know, I've had clients or principals say, you know, I want you to interview this chief financial officer candidate before I do. Um, how did they treat you? What was it like in terms of setting up the meeting? Uh, how did they show up when you picked them up in the lobby? Were they personable? Um, all the way to, we have four different new marketing campaigns to choose from. What's your opinion? You know, you've, you've been around the business for a couple of years. You know what I like and dislike. What, what do you think about these options? Or I'm sitting on a philanthropic board and our real board meeting is conflicting with that. Obviously I have to be at the real board meeting, but this is really important to me. And I'm going to write a note to the board chair of the philanthropic board and say how much you are a partner for me. Would it be okay if you sat in on the meeting to offer what you feel may be my perspective, but also be able to report back to me what happened during that meeting. And so in all of those aspects, you are, as a principal, you are kind of spreading your web further than you actually physically can. And you're leveraging your assistant to gather another point of view um, and, and maybe provide some outside the box thinking and really leverage their own personal experience that may even predate your relationship with them. And we always say that, mine your executive assistant's experience, you know? And so if you're mining their experience, you're gonna get the benefit of knowing what worked and what didn't and how it may relate to the situation you're currently in. So when we say business partner, we're thinking on, along the lines of those kind of things. I just imagine the power of like being able to be in two places at once, like, and, and have it handled effectively. Like that sounds amazing. And I love that you're adding language to this. Um, like you said, cause I think, you know, like outdated 30 year ago language of like having a secretary and all that kind of stuff is still kind of in the general thought of this, but like, it's, it's so cool to see, especially, you know, learning from you, how, how things are totally different and like just challenging all those underlying assumptions is super, super important as far as like the different ways that people can work more effectively. And I love that conversation of a business partner. You also, you mentioned like a bunch of other ones, the five performance multipliers, which I think is uh, amazing that you have these kind of categorized for us, categories for us to think about. One of the ones that you glossed over that I think is also really cool is chief of, chief of staff and like having having your e executive assistant be that person that's kind of like the singular port of, point of contact for you. So we'd love for you to maybe expand on that a little bit more as far as like that capability of uh, an amazing e executive assistant. Well, the interesting thing about chief of staff is that we look at it a little bit different than the traditional 
um, definition. So the traditional definition would be like uh, a graduate of Harvard MBA comes into a company and is the chief of staff for the CEO. And the, that traditional definition is that person, that chief of staff sitting in on every executive leadership team meeting, understanding the KPIs, key performance indicators of the business, understanding the goals over 18, 24, 36 months of the business, having that seat at the table, being able to hold the other C-suite executives accountable to meeting timelines and deadlines and, and, and getting their feedback and, and being that funnel for the CEO to um, be able to kind of gather all this information and make sure that the company is moving on that track. When we say chief of staff, you hit the nail on the head when you said singular point of contact. And so when a CEO has an executive assistant and, and thinks of them as kind of a, a secondary chief of staff, it's the person that they can go to and say, I need to move my eye appointment to make way for this new business meeting that's coming up. We're having a party on Saturday. I really want to make sure the grass is cut. Um, the chairman of the board of our company left me a voicemail. I'm not going to be able to get back to him, but can you let him know X, Y, and Z? And in that 45 seconds, the CEO has taken three things off his plate from very disparate parts of his life and given himself time back. And when you consistently do that and place the trust in your assistant, the people you interact with, both inside the company, outside the company, in your personal life, within the community, are going to realize that your assistant is really the one that where they should start, where they should go, who they can go to as that singular point of contact to know, you know, where you are or when you will be able to get back to them or make sure that the priority level of what you need is expressed. And then the assistant is categorizing those priorities and leveling them up to making sure that they're making the most time available to the CEO or the, the principal um, and making them efficient. Yeah. So cool. And, and you, you mentioned a few things in there too, of like, you know, ha having to have like the grass cut for a big party and the same time you have the chairman and like all these kind of things. It, it, another thing that I thought was really cool and interesting about the way that you've described this role is that, um, the executive assistant really does span all different areas of your life with the end outcome of like you working to be as effective as possible and giving back your time. And so I know we're kind of kind of running out of time, but I think this is really important is one of the things I think is unique that you talk about is the importance of understanding that you have two different worlds. You have your business and personal, but like if your personal life is kind of like crazy and you got mold in your house and all that kind of stuff, you're not going to show up as effectively. Right. And so I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about that dynamic and like that thought process of like allowing an executive assistant into your personal world and how that like kind of benefits both sides of the equation. Yeah. You know, I, I, I come across, I, I do come across some executive assistants, um, where we, we sometimes consider them legacy executive assistants or legacy assistants where, you know, they don't want to do personal work. You know, they just don't want it on their plate. Um, they, they want to focus on business work. And when, from where we're coming from, 
having partnered with principals for with a 24 seven mentality, making well into six figures, um, having that true partnership, we don't want to differentiate between business and personal. It's just work. It's just life. And the net goal of our role is to save time. And it's, it's a little harder for a company to find ROI from an executive assistant until they form that relationship and know they couldn't live without it. And, you know, some of it is mental sanity and being able to juggle a lot of balls, but yet not feel that stress and still live a fruitful life. Um, and, and, and just being efficient with all aspects of your life and, and controlling that time. Um, so we don't differentiate it. We consider a modern assistant is that assistant that, you know, rises to the level of hospitality does personal work, creates that strong relationship, has a velvet touch, leverages their emotional intelligence and their work ethic, keeps their own score and, and, you know, really transitions from that idea of quote unquote, it's not my job, or that's not in my job description to let me dig into that, or I can handle that. You know, it's, it's just that, that shift. Yeah. And again, I think this kind of comes back to the the little side conversation that we had a little bit earlier about energy, right? Like it's just, if your energy is being diver diverted, like using the example I pulled up before, it's like with mold in your house, like you're just, you're, you're, you're not going to be fully there, right? And so like being able to lean on someone that might be able to kind of help pick up that area for you, uh, I'm sure just like you know, it may not have the, the direct correlation, but when you look at like the big, big picture of things, it's it's an absolute direct correlation, but it's like just not something that someone, a CEO might necessarily see right away that that makes that all happen. So I love that. Oh man, Ethan, this has been so good. And I think we've opened so many different eyes and perspectives of like what an, an effective executive assistant role can be from all these different areas. And so uh, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're kind of wrapping up here. So this may seem kind of like uh, a non sequitur, but there's some there's a few questions that I love asking guests just to kind of get their perspective on that I think is really fun for listeners to kind of see across different uh, guests and their, their answers. And so um, I, I've been experimenting with different versions of this last question. And, and so uh, I might give a slightly different one right now, but it's totally cool. But the, the idea is essentially curiosity has been such a massive role in my life. And that was the shift to the podcast of being beyond curious. And, and I think as I've come across your story, seeing you just being curious about your potential, your different roles to play and kind of shifting throughout different roles and evolving that and eventually starting your own business and going with your wife and sharing your knowledge with other people. I just view you as a very curious human that has been able to kind of leverage curiosity to support you in many ways. So I would love for you to share what curiosity means to you and how it's, how it's personally played a role in your life. You know, um, my stepfather, uh, he, he passed away in 2014, but he was a true father figure for me. Uh, I was very, very, very fortunate to have him in my life. And um, he was an attorney, personal injury attorney. And the one, one of the many things that I'll take from my relationship with him is uh, his ability to ask questions and get to the nub of an issue and in, in a very personable and human way. Mm -hmm. And 
I get, you talked about energy. I, I get a lot of energy from great conversations. And I love asking questions that are sometimes off center and maybe not coming from a, a direct point of view. And I love learning how people think and, and curiosity is all through that. Um, but there is definitely an energy and a vibe that happens when you're in a really good conversation with someone who has a different perspective or opens your eyes to an issue or a problem or something that you may not have thought of. Um, it's also very gratifying if, if that person asks you for your opinion, um, you know, not sharing it outright, but if they're soliciting it and you really make an impact on them with your ideas or suggestions, it's, it's, there is a, there's that energy that, that, that hair stands up on the back of your head or the, the goosebumps happen. And, um, I love those kind of conversations and, and curiosity is at the heart of that. And so I think a lot about my stepfather and, and, uh, our whole thing was, I, I, I never hid anything from him because I knew if I tried to dance around something, he just politely keep asking questions and he, <laughs> he could pull anything out of me. So I got very good at just going right to the chase. Like, I know you want to know this. I'm going to tell you, even if I did something wrong or it was bad, um, or I may be scared to share what I'm thinking, but I might as well get that out in the open now. And then we can, then we can, you know, start from there. Um, so it's a great question. And, and that's, that's kind of what comes to me. Such a beautiful answer. I love that. I love hearing about that. And I also get those goosebumps, which I've had multiple times in our conversation today. I'm just like, oh man, that was really good. And like, it's like curiosity landing. Maybe that's what it is. It's like when your curiosity lands, it's like your body feels it or something resonates. I I, I love that. So amazing. Well, um, I know obviously anyone can go check out the 29 hour workday, a high performer's guide to leveraging your EA. Again, we'll have that linked up in the show notes. We covered just the tip of the iceberg as far as like this dynamic goes. So if you want to learn more about like how you can leverage an executive assistant more effectively that is all inside of that book. And I would highly recommend you check that out. But besides that, Ethan, any other places you would encourage people to go to check out you and your work? Yeah, I mean, our website, proassisting.com, uh, where we provide fractional remote executive assistant support to C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, small business owners, and non-executive board directors. Um, those are kind of our sweet spots. Um, also both Stephanie and I are active on LinkedIn in terms of profiles there and whatnot, and, um, conversation with anybody just talking about their support needs. And, and I come fully from the perspective of I'm here to serve you. Um, it's not about partnering with pro assisting. It's about getting you the right support. If we are that fit, great. If we're not. Um, I'm going to want to do my best to get you the support you need because you're going to come across someone where we are the right fit. And it's all about creating relationships and really having the patience to see what we're doing in the long term. And, um, you know, if you do anything and, and do anything well for 10 or 20 years and stick your head and keep your head down and have that patience, you're going to be successful. 
a hospitalian through and through. You heard it, ladies and gentlemen. You can go check out uh, proassisting.com if you want any of those further details. Reach out and connect with Ethan or Stephanie on LinkedIn. And I'm just really quickly going to have a conversation with you listening. And I just want to say... You could be listening to any other podcast. You could be doing so many other things, but something about this conversation was interesting for you and you're still hanging out with us today, which tells me that there's something that has been impactful for you here. So my ask is that if you've been touched by something, um, you can absolutely change someone's life by simply just sharing this. Maybe it's just to make someone laugh, like how Ethan went and did a hostage recovery session for a piece of film, or maybe it was running, uh, but for raspberry jam, uh, or maybe it was like some of the, the, the ways that we talked about trust or the performance multipliers of what it's like to have a business partner or a chief of staff. Like there's so much gold in here that can change someone's life. So my ask is that if you've resonated with this, that you take a second to share it with them. Um, and if not, I really appreciate you for being here because, uh, you're absolutely what makes this show possible as a listener. And so I appreciate you so much. And Ethan, any, any final things that you want to say before we head off today? You know, I, I, I guess I've just been really surprised at how, and, and we have a lot of pride around the fact that we took what our career was and, um, transitioned it into a productized service and and now have this thriving business and and I really think I think it's the way of the future and and I I just would encourage people to not pigeonhole yourself into exactly what you're doing as your full-time role um, if you're not running your own business and and really dive deep on what you can do and have learned throughout your career that has value that you may have forgotten about. And, and there is such power in that. And, um, it's been a, it's been life-changing for Stephanie and I over the last, you know, five and a half years of running this business. And, um, I really think the way of the world is, is moving in that direction. And, um, so I would encourage people to, to think about that. Beautiful. Amazing. Don't want to add anything to that. Ethan, I appreciate you so much, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.